Good evening, Mark Bugwell from your boat <laughs> in Santa Barbara. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where you are right now. Tell me about like what this beautiful scenery that I see behind you. Um, for the folks who are listening, um, Mark is sitting on a, a boat and there are beautiful yachts behind him. And it looks like the sun is about to set. The, the, the sun is setting. Um, we're in Santa Barbara. Um, it's, uh, I think it's probably one of my favorite harbors in the world. Nice. It's a lot like, uh, like the south of France, you know. Um, we have beautiful mountain range. It's a small harbor, 1,100 boats. And if, you know, if you've ever been to Santa Barbara, yeah, there's something magical here. Um, it used to be a hippie town when I lived here back in the 70s. Wow. Um, it's less less like that now, but the harbor's pitching. We love it here. Tell yeah. me about what it was like in the 70s. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was like everything. It was naive. It was easy. Um, I think people, I don't get into politics, at least not yet. <laughs> people believed in justice, you know. It was, yeah... Vietnam was going on, so people were fighting, thinking it might make a change. And, um, you know, the whole, I mean, the American mindset, but specific to California, you know, it was very unique. Um, yeah, it was hippie. It was up until now, till this current time, to me, it was the most important time in my life. Mm. And again, I'm going into politics <laughs> This is even more important now, but mm. we, we won't get into all that. All right. But Santa Barbara's bitching. It's an amazing place. Nice. Um, yeah, we love it. Nice. Are you, like, living on that boat right now? Like, what's the, what's the deal? No. In fact, this is our second boat, and we call it our guest boat because we had another boat that was smaller, and we wanted to upgrade, and... A lot of friends from Europe that would travel up and down the coast of California liked the idea of having a boat to stay on uh, for a night or two. And so that was our guest boat. But we traded that one up towards this one, which is larger. So this is the new guest boat. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's a new old boat. In fact, in fact, it's a 70s built, mid-70s built, uh, Taiwanese built boat, um, 38 feet long two big diesel motors. It's a classic uh, sport fisher. Wow. Um, and it's, it's got a nice vibe below. You know, it, it can be real tiki out, but we just got it recently. In fact, I cleaned the bottom today for the first time and got acquainted with the bottom. I'm really pleased because the bottom's in really good shape. Mm. Happy about that. Yeah. I mean, boat maintenance yeah. sounds like I've never owned a boat myself before, but it sounds like um, a lot of work, boat boat maintenance. Like you have to take care of your your pal in the in the ocean. It is a lot of work. Um, fortunately, I'm effortful, and I don't mind. Um, I've been around the ocean most of my life, so I'm used to it. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it it does take a lot of work, and if you don't do the work yourself, it takes a lot of money. So I do as much as I can on my own. Yeah. Well, like, okay, I need to explain to folks out there 
like what your deal is and you know what you're about so you came I mean I met you once in at the Rose Bowl um, a couple of years back and but we have so many mutual friends such as my buddy Eric mm-hmm. Kvartek um, shout out to yeah. Eric the photographer he, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about <laughs> hit the shoot with him and you um, oh. in a bit oh. but um <laughs> Cool. So, but you are a vintage dealer, and you specialize your um, your specialty is really is really like antique and vintage jewelry. Um, if I'm not, yeah, if I'm not yeah, that's wrong. right. And, Accessories. Um, and you know, on on your Instagram, one over time, you have such spectacular pieces. Honestly, like I I love looking at your stuff. You know, and you um, so you've been doing this for quite a while. Can you tell people? out there like how you got into this and and what exactly you are doing okay um i started doing this when i was eight and basically i grew up in southern california swap meets and i don't know if if everybody's familiar with the swap meet but you know back in the early 60s that was just a place to go and you could trade things or sell things it was in drive-in theaters here in Southern California. Um, and so I helped my parents with their business, which they started to supplement their income. And uh, it became my responsibility to man the booth while my mom went out shopping for merchandise. Mm. So that's how I got introduced to this. And it's kind of cool is I've had a really diverse life and everywhere I've ever lived, I've always bought things to resell. Mm. I I was in the Caribbean for three years from from when I was 18 to 21 and I managed to find things down there that were really cool and and ship them back and sell them. And in Europe for almost 15 years, buying and and shipping. and obviously here in the in fact, I think our paths may have crossed in France at one time yeah, at, I think at flea so. markets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Probably <laughs> yeah, at yeah. the the Puce de Clignancourt <laughs> up in in actually, Paris. I actually, yeah, I, I used to go to that one way back in the day, but I now I prefer Vanf. Vanf uh, is yes. much smaller. Yeah, and I pay more, but I can get to the point quicker. Yeah, I so totally I, I prefer Vanf. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been to some really bitchin' markets, um, like in the south of France, really like Montpellier, uh, Nice has a really small, charming market. I mean, yeah. I've been all over the south and some really cool markets. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I love about the French culture is there, there, there is, just like in Japan as well, there is a really strong, um, you know, like circular kind of economy for vintage stuff and for secondhand stuff. I mean, like in summer, from, from spring until autumn, I'm digging every single weekend. Oh, yeah. And there's like, yeah. there's like an incredible website um, where, you know, they list all of the kind of spontaneous flea markets every weekend. So we're like, I'm like looking at that website every Sunday. I'm probably doing about five flea markets and you you see the country you meet, you talk to amazing people, but yeah. So tell me, tell me about your, actually, first I want to go back to the Caribbean. I want to know like what kind of gear did you, did you find in the Caribbean? 
You know, I found some really odd things. <laughs> okay, I'll qualify it because selling accessories is relatively recent mm-hmm. for what we're doing. And, you know, back when I was 18 in the Caribbean, uh, you know, I was just buying kind of old school stuff. And so whenever I ran into something, usually in a store it would be up up on a shelf somewhere forgotten about. Um, like, for instance, <laughs> there was a, a vending machine and it was called Smiling Sam from Alabama, the peanut man. <laughs> Yeah, no, this thing was epic. It was epic. It was bigger than life-size, a head of a black man. I mean, it's really inappropriate now. And he had big red lips, and you pulled his tongue out. You put money and pulled his tongue out, and peanuts fell out. Wow. And and I found that in the weirdest place. (laughs) I haven't... It's interesting, because I haven't thought about this in decades, for sure. Um, I went to, I don't even know what you call it. It was a local place where you could buy local herbs, but kind of like voodoo kind of stuff. Mm. It was really interesting. And you see all these weird things in jars in this, in this, it was a small shop on the walls all the way to the ceiling. And this thing just happened to be up in the corner. And I asked the guy, what, what is that thing? And he was, didn't really care about it. Like, can I buy it? Sure. He sold it to me. Wow. So then I shipped it up to the States, you know, it's just weird. Yeah. I mean, that one sticks out. That one really sticks out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Nice. And when I was there, what I used to do, I guess this ties in. I, I learned about shells. So a buddy of mine and myself, we used to dive for specimen seashells, but oh. runs for collectors, like really specific. We traveled all over the Caribbean looking for very specific shells um, but with advanced collectors in mind. So there was, there was a, a certain, a, a very appropriate way that you collect a seashell and you only take perfect specimens. You don't take any mediocre anyway. So, um, and that's, you know, it's just all kind of an extension of how I was trained to find things, Yeah, right. you know? Um, and so it was shells in the Caribbean too, and then whatever objects I came across. Were you yeah. like diving for those shells, or were they were they already? Um... Yeah, no, in the water. No, they have to be in the water because wow. a shell, a shell. Okay, there's there's bivalves, the kind that go like this, and there's univalves, the kind that swirl. And when you collect univalves, they have a little thing that's like a fingernail almost, and it. It's called an operculum, and it closes the opening of the shell so it can protect itself. And so when you collect the sh- specimen shell, you have to save that piece, and then you put it on cotton and put it with the shell for a collector. And as I'm saying this, I feel a little guilty because I wouldn't do that now because I don't think it's appropriate to kill something like that just to collect it and not eat it. So, And these are little shells. These are like little that burrow in the sand they live underneath coral heads i mean their arms back up in caves and you find calories especially were up in caves anyway uh we were free diving uh that was my introduction to diving um i guess i'm jumping forward now i eventually became a commercial diver 
And that's how I wound up in Santa Barbara. I took a two-year program in Santa Barbara in the late 70s um, to work for the oil companies. And that's what took me to Europe originally. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so, wild, yeah. Man. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. <laughs> so, so now we're, we're moving into Europe and you, you're over there as a, a commercial diver for an oil company and you're digging as well in your spare time. So where did you first, okay. what country uh, did you first <laughs> land in? Okay, so now it, it gets more interesting. <laughs> of it, course it, it, it gets more interesting in one way, but, but um, I don't know how to say it. I guess I'm, from my perspective, a little disappointing. Um, at the time, my wife was modeling, mm -hmm. and so I was going to Aberdeen, and the idea was, whoop, I hit the camera, six months on, six months off. And she said, why don't you stop by Milano and meet some agents? And I thought it was kind of a waste of time, but I did it. And, um, yeah, the first week I wound up in an important magazine and that changed everything. I, I continued doing that for almost 20 years. Wow. And so my diving career, my diving career just stopped. Dude, that's yeah. crazy, man. Um, so can you yeah. tell me like what, what era, era this was? Was this a little later? Than uh, this yeah, that would have been like, uh, I guess around 80 mm -hmm. to 2000, but right. you know, working a lot, not I mean, I don't mean it that way. Um, I was a working model. I wasn't a celebrity. You know, I, I did okay. The shows. Um, yeah, the real model shit. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I went going strong for 10 years for sure. Mm. Um, and then it would, it, it slowly, you know, it kind of slowed down and my interest changed and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, 20 years. Yeah, but then Eric right. came along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was fun. <laughs> anyway. We're going we're gonna to definitely dive into that Whoops. in a bit. I kicked the camera again. That's All okay. Right. We're, yeah, yeah. we're chill here. Um, so, okay, like you land in Milano, you like deal, you, you sign this modeling contract and then suddenly everything takes off. I mean, a lot of people don't who are listening don't really understand what it's like to be a model. Um, and like, to be <laughs> honest, like it's a crazy, crazy lifestyle, man. Like it's, it's, it's well. not what anybody thinks. It's, if you haven't done it, you have no clue. And I mean that respectfully, you know, um, it was, well, you know, back in my day, there were no cell phones mm. and, you know, so you had to have a, a paper map. You had to learn how to navigate. Um, you had to always check in with pay phones. Okay, no big deal. I, I always say, and I really believe this, from my experience, if, if I were to compare my counterparts or any other model's counterparts who stayed where they came from, those models probably have a bigger advantage in life because of what they've had to deal with, the rejection and all the different things that happens from modeling. You know, totally. and I guess I say that because I resent models being referred to as airheads. Oh, no. You know, I don't know if you ever heard. I would hear that. Oh, yeah. Oh, air, you know, models, they're stupid. You know, they're airheads, blah, blah, blah. 
And so I believe, in fact, that they're not. What they've had to endure and go through, and it's not what anybody thinks, unless maybe you're a celebrity, you know, a celebrity model. But we were just working models, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. 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 Got to travel a lot. Yeah, that's the beauty about modeling is you meet so many people, you travel so much and, you know, like like I also modeled not as long as you did but probably for about 10 to 15 years and um, oh, the, the, the people that I met from modeling, like they've yeah. a lot of them have been yep. life, life friends yep. Yep. and, yep. you know, you share that rejection, you share that kind of vulnerability with each other um, along your way yep. and, and and that really like solidifies a real friendship um, yeah and also like rem- just no doubt it's like being cra- in the trenches you're in the trenches together yeah, yeah. and the crazy schedules honestly yep. the crazy scheduling um, the kind of in my in my eyes the kind of militant regime you have to keep up with like with being organized, with going to castings, with juggling work, with yeah. ke- keeping and yeah. keeping yeah. your body in the right shape and your skin and everything, you know, it's a lot, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's true. But it, there, <laughs> there were always those exceptions. You were like, wow, this. Some people photographed so good, and and in fact, okay, I'm an example in a certain way. I don't mean that I photograph good, but I show up on jobs and people look at me like. Uh, okay. Uh, hair and makeup. Uh, what, who are you? What, why are you here? Oh, I'm the model. Oh, and sometimes they would even say, you want somebody that doesn't look like a model. And I would get that. So yeah. And then (laughs) what I was thinking about is the, those, those models who, they just photographed so good. Maybe their skin was all fucked up. Maybe they weren't tall enough. Maybe what this and that, but okay. So this is important. I want to touch on this actually. And I, I'm glad that we got here. I didn't think about it till just now. Um, I got to grab it again. Um, okay. The thing about modeling that people don't understand, and this, this also relates to a conversation I had with Eric. Um, it doesn't matter what's going on in your mind. All that matters is how you photograph. You may be very confident and photograph like shit, or you may photograph really well. Or you may be insecure as hell, and the same thing can apply. Either you photograph really great or you photograph like shit. I was incredibly insecure, and it was fortunate for me that I photographed good enough to keep working. Mm. You know? And so it's, it's, yeah, I think most models can even relate to that. I think there may be a little that, that you can relate to about insecurity and moving in spite of your insecurity especially in modeling because of rejection, et cetera, et cetera. And my solution, which I didn't understand until I got into acting, was I did what's called doings. <laughs> because I was afraid that if I stood still, they would realize I was an imposter. Mm. So I was constantly creating these imaginary scenarios. I would just go into characters and I had a little kit of props with me and I would just start going off because I was, and I have goosebumps now. I was so concerned that they would find out that I shouldn't be there and that they wouldn't pay me because <laughs> I was a laborer all my life. And to get that kind of money for that kind of work, 
it was epic. Yeah. It was epic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's really important for people to understand. Um, yeah, just, yeah. You just never can tell who's going to photograph good and who's not. Yeah. And Uh, it just depends, man, some people project so well, mm. ah, just like, whoa, you know, and others can't do it. My brother, (laughs) I did a cigarette campaign and, and the client said, you have a brother. I said, yeah. Oh, send him over. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't like being in front of the camera. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. He's handsome. He's better looking than I am, but he just doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the modeling, my modeling um whatever insight that's rad man so um yeah like tell me about digging in europe what countries did you land in yeah this is the juicy part you know interesting is okay so it all it evolved um you know i did the milano thing first for a year and then i got direct booking into zurich and i was like oh wow it was you know italy's amazing still one of my favorite places but after being in Milano, which is industrial, you know, but Italians are still great everywhere you go. But I got an opportunity to go to Zurich and work in Switzerland. I got paid twice as much and the, the agencies didn't take as much. And it was like, okay, we're moving. So we moved to Switzerland. And then from Switzerland, we moved to Germany. And so I was hitting all the flea markets in Switzerland, Germany. And then what I was starting to do was I'd go into Austria and I was buying stuff that came in from the Eastern Bloc countries in Prague. No, not Prague, sorry. In oh, <laughs> that was another another country and um Wien, vienna and that that was before the wall came down and so all the stuff from the east came into vienna wow. and so what i would do is i would i would shop zurich zurich has an amazing flea market by the way it's not like it used to be but it's it's still good and i would shop there on saturday and then take the train overnight and shop vienna on sunday and then take the train back um and i shopped all over germany um, and I, I did shop a lot in Italy too. And at that time, we were buying completely different stuff. Um, and every country had something to offer that we knew about that we could um, ship over. Mm. And so it, it, it evolved to the point where we were shipping containers of French and Italian lighting. And we were working with um, decorators, uh, you know, the shabby chic stuff that was mm. back then. And so we did that basically until the economy shifted. And when the economy went into whatever it was because of the housing situation, all those bad loans, we then shifted into accessories. Mm. It was a good choice. Um, and, and that's in our... Um, how would I say this? Uh, we're, <laughs> we're insignificant. Let's just say it that way. And in our little universe, we've managed to constantly adapt to what's happening yeah. and, uh, and shift. And that's how we've survived, but we've kept it really simple. It's just my wife and I and... We live a simple life. You know, we're happy to have the boats here in Santa Barbara. We have a house in LA, but it's all hands-on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we do it all. And so um, 
yeah, I feel fortunate that we've been able to adapt. Um, an interesting thing happened that I want to give credit to. We did the second inspiration show. Mm-hmm. It was all by chance because we met a, actually, Jamie from Raggedy Threads. Hey, shout out to Jamie. We didn't know, <laughs> yeah, who we didn't know who she was. We didn't know anything about it. We were doing in what was mainly a clothing event, and we brought some stuff that we thought would be cool, and it was accessories. We just started, and she said, do you guys know about inspiration? No. Well, here, contact this guy, Rin, and get in the show, and it was in two weeks. And so we're like, okay, contacted Rin, and he said, yeah, come. By the time we figured out we were going, we had like a week. And <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know about heritage clothing. We didn't know about any of that shit. We were more like antique dealers we, we dealt with decorators. We dealt with, we used to buy a lot of bitchin' old fabrics like Fortuny, Fortuny and all kinds of early linen out of Italy and France. Yeah. I mean, we were, we bought so much of that. I got goosebumps again. <laughs> we bought so much of that shit and it's really heavy. Yeah. And actually in Germany, we were buying a lot of really nice hand loomed um, linen fabrics that were uh, hand gemacht linen. It was, yeah, linen. Uh, that that was I'm getting off track now. That were made like by farmers' wives and stuff mm. on these narrow looms. Incredible oh, like shit. Handloomed, handloomed. Yes, fabrics. yes, amazing like stuff with width. salvage with salvage edges, narrow width. Yeah, wow. they put. They have to use four pieces to make a duvet cover. Oh and my it's, god! I mean, we, we were selling that shit to we, well back in the day at the markets. There were a lot of high end decorators that were buying. We were the source for fabric. Anyway, but I need to go back to where I was. I forget. To inspiration. You're an inspiration. Yeah. Okay, Rin. I got I got to give a shout out, shout out to Rin because yeah. <laughs> Lorraine and I were in the truck. And I'm accustomed to doing antique shows as a child. But I didn't know anything about trade shows. And I didn't even know that inspiration was a trade show. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and so I just went around the yard and got cool shit male oriented shit because i heard it was like a guy thing and i I looked over at lorraine in the truck like halfway there and said no look lorraine we may be the laughing stock of this show so just be prepared because i've made some choices and i don't know if i'm completely wrong or if i'm in the ballpark or not i and um which seems to be the story of my life just (laughs) put it out there see what happens and uh it was epic amazing (laughs) (laughs) so our most important clients that we still have met us there and the numbers that we were accustomed to were 10 times it was unbelievable it was and it just changed it changed our lives it Okay, if I put my arms out, you probably won't see them. I don't know. Our potential was like this before. After inspiration, our potential was like, fuck! It was amazing. 
Yeah, right. So like for folks who are listening, I'm just gonna describe. So Mark, you just you just said you you put your hands out like real small, about a foot apart, and oh. then and then <laughs> and then just beyond beyond your arm span basically. That's incredible, yeah, yeah. man. It changed everything. Wow. And it just that's the seed got planted and it started to it's it started to it it just allowed me another consideration because you know we had missed out at the rose bowl we've been sung at the rose bowl in the same location for at least 35 years i mean we've been there a long time and we're known we were known as mark and lorraine that's what we were known as and that was before cell phones i mean we had cb radios so we could hand wow cb radios and people couldn't hear what we were saying you know everybody's using walkie talkies blah 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 and um crazy man we sold we sold cool shit. We've always sold cool shit, but it was a completely different thing. And then we shifted and Rin and inspiration was right when we just started to shift thinking, okay, where are we going to go? What's next? You know, what should we be doing? Cause the other stuff wasn't working anymore. Mm. And man, it just, it, just went off. it changed our lives wow. in a good way. So I appreciate that from Rin and that event. Um, Would you say that event, were you, were you, still kind of trend like you know traveling a lot before inspiration and did inspiration kind of pull you back to la for good no no we um up until i mean i was spending half of every year in, to, for probably the last i don't know i'm not good about you years and time but maybe the last third of my career as a model i was Spending, I'd go three months on, three months off, three months on, three months off. So uh, I was only gone for three months at a time, and we always kept our booth going. We'd hire help. Um, and I'd be buying over there and bringing it back again, mm. you know, on those trips. I, I think I might have got off the point. What was the question? I'm sorry. No, no. So, I got yeah, in my own so head. what? So nowadays, like, are you, like, really based in L.A. most of the time? Are you traveling much I'm yeah. Still, yeah. Still no, I I do travel. No, I, I yeah, but now with this shit going on, I can't travel. No, yeah. the, what I do is I go to Europe. I go to Europe for two months about this time of the year every year, and I move all over. I'll do probably I don't know six or seven countries at least. What I do is I follow around fashion weeks. Yeah. I'll go to all the different cities where fashion week is. I'll do either the men's or the women's. It just depends. And so I'll be in Paris, London. Um, Hamburg, no, not Hamburg, um, Berlin, um, Milano, uh, wherever. It, it, and then in between, whatever is close, I'll go there also. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just bouncing around. I mean, it's, you know how it, inexpensive it is to fly in Europe, or at least it used to be. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. So I'm just bouncing all over the place. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like now because of the because of the covid like there is so much uncertainty in my life and and i'm sure in your life and in the whole fashion industry about what the, what traveling is going to look like in the future yeah um, yeah yeah but i think it's a good thing i mean okay i'm super optimistic yeah i believe that adversity is where all potential lies mm. um and so I am embracing this, trying to find our way in it. And we're fortunate because we did have some momentum. You've had momentum. You know, you're on a different level than we are. But you 
and you do what you have to do. And what's cool yeah. is we're all being forced into the future yep. quicker than we expected, but it, it was coming. It was coming anyway. Yeah. So I think there's opportunity and I just try to find it. Yeah. You know? I couldn't agree more yeah. with you. Um, like, you know, there's been a real like doomsday vibe this year, but honestly, there's, it's uncovered so much potential. It's incredible. Like that's, yeah. that's that sweet spot when you're sitting in between like that order and chaos. I, I always love talking about order and chaos because I'm obsessed with it. But um, yeah, it's like we're on the, the edge of chaos and in front of us there's a lot of pitch black. But in that is so much new opportunity, new creativity, new direction. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, like there's but that's, a lot that's, to But that's, that, yeah, the un, that's the unknown. And human nature is, especially as you get older, you avoid the unknown. You want to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. When you're comfortable, it's over. And, you know, I'm older. I'm 66. And so it's like uh, I find that I'm not as free spirit as I used to be, but I just try my best to not allow that to prevent me from going into the unknown. And, ter- and, and I'm terrified of the unknown. But I know I've learned to embrace it. Because that's where potential is, you know. Yeah. And what, what I've learned a lot lately is if I stop and think to myself, oh, Mark, yeah, you can't do that. Don't do that. Oh, I, I'm doing it. You're going to do it. You know, and this is, a, you know what? This is an example of it. What we're doing right now, it's easy to say no. It's really easy to say no and be safe and not, not put it out there. And so when I got the invitation from you to do this, my first instinct is, ah, ah, no, no, I don't want to do that. Wait a minute. Ah, fuck it. Put it out there. Let's see what happens. So yeah. that's, that's it. Totally, that's it. Man. You know, I, you know, just, I had the same, I had the same kind of attitude when I started this podcast. I'm like, what podcast? Like I've never done a podcast. Like I'm not a podcaster. I like, you know, the, there was so much kind of doubt in my mind, but like I've Great. just been, Great. I've just been like doing this and doing doing it every week and meeting so many people this way and like having awesome yep. conversations and yep. and there's been already so much that's come out of this that yeah, you just gotta just gotta try, man. Like you just gotta put it out there. Yeah, put it out. Go and go in spite of your fear and. Totally. I'm really fortunate. <laughs> I'm fortunate because I'm terrified of everything. And so, uh, Is that you know, fortunate? the way that, yeah, yeah, it's fortunate because the way it works is, um, I don't know how to say it, except I'll find my way in this moment. The harder something is, the more you resist something, the more potential it has. It's that simple. And so if you're just kind of at nature or naturally afraid, but you don't allow that to hold you back, then there's just that much more potential. Totally. That's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and bravery is not easy. No. Bravery doesn't come because you're prepared and being strong or however you want to say it or super smart or whatever it is. Bravery is going in spite of your fear and maybe your uh, disadvantages or however you want to say it. Just going yeah. in spite of all that shit. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanna, well, that's, yeah. 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 That's modeling. Thing. By modeling. the way, back real quick. Mo- vulnerability. That's why some people read so well and, 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 are so, they're so powerful in their images is because they're being really vulnerable. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But that's like powerful images. Yeah. Speaking of powerful images, now it's time to talk about the shoot you did uh, with our buddy Eric. That was about five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was for Capital. Tell us about tell us about yeah. the shoot. Well, <laughs> okay, I'll try to do it quickly. I kind of make very important experience for me. You know, I okay. <laughs> I hope my earphones don't run out of power. So look, or we, we <laughs> or my battery and my phone runs out. But look, uh, okay, everything I said before fits into all this. Mm. Um, but what maybe people don't understand, I don't know if it reads in this format or not, but I tend to put myself into other people's space, real direct. And a lot of times I feel bad afterwards about it. My intentions aren't bad. It's just that I'm somehow different. And so I met Eric at the Capitol screening in LA. I didn't meet him actually. I should I shouldn't say it that way. I went to the screening because I wanted to learn about Capitol. I didn't know anything about it, but I had heard about it through mutual friends. And it was going to be some kind of a movie explaining what Capitol was. And then when I watched it, I was disappointed because it was basically documenting a photo shoot. Yeah. And then I thought about it. I thought, you know what? That's cool because I know about that. But how many people in that room know about that experience? So then I went to Eric and said, I met him outside across the street. Everybody was drinking beers. And I saw him in the crowd. And I just made a beeline for him. And he kind of backed up a little bit. <laughs> and I said, dude, this is so fucking me. And I said, dude, I really dig what, what you did with that. It was just a photo shoot. And I was a model, and I know that shit. But it was really cool what you did. I dig it. And he was just kind of like... <laughs> and there was somebody standing next to him, and the person standing next to him, I think was the stylist. She was just kind of going... And I felt that shit for a year. And then the first inspiration in New York opened, and I wanted to see if it was appropriate for us as a venue. And I also had to drop off some big shipments to clients in New York. So I ran into Eric there, and I had brought a Harley Davidson ring. Clanoy likes Harleys. Yeah. That is the best one ever made. It was the very wow. best one ever made. So when I saw him, I said, I said, dude, do you have a minute? We need to talk. And yeah, so I explained to him what I just explained to you and whoever might be watching this. I, I said, look, I, I, I apologize for getting in your space like that, but I really did mean what I said and blah, blah, blah. And here I have this ring. If you're into it, let me know. Well, he wasn't into the ring. He liked it, but he was changing apartments. I guess he had been evicted and it was difficult, blah, blah, blah. I actually bought a couple of cool shirts from him. And he said, you want to do um, a shoot with us? And I was like, yeah, maybe for capital. I went, oh, yeah, I'm interested in capital. Sure, I'll do it. He doesn't pay much. I said, that's okay. I got a pair of pants for it. (laughs) (laughs) And so at that time, the weather changed and it got really cold the day before and where my Airbnb was, I could walk to location. It was about 20, 25 minute walk and it was cold as hell that morning. And I get really insecure even more so when I'm cold. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but when I'm cold, I'm not as comfortable. So, so I'm walking to the shoot (laughs) 
And I'm saying in my mind, so why are you doing this shit, you old man? What the fuck? You know what? Why do you keep doing these things? You're gonna, you're, you are gonna fuck this up. And so I come around the corner where the where the shoot's gonna be, and and I come around the corner, and there's just like three young dudes and three young women, and um, I think I was sixty, so yeah, maybe five, five six years ago, whatever, and. Uh, I felt really insecure and because I had to catch a flight back early, they started shooting me first and they put this bitch in fucking these clothes or this, mm-hmm. the, the, this like almost floor length Boro coat. Amazing. I was just like, fuck, this thing's amazing. And I don't know, I'm not a clothing guy, but that like spoke to me anyway. So, so while I'm waiting to get dressed, I'm wondering, well, what, what is it these people want from me? I don't understand what's happening. Nobody was telling me anything. And I'm feeling really insecure because I'm old and they're young and I felt they were better looking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he put some clothes on me and, 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 and I meet three girls. And still I'm thinking, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I'm, and I'm trying to be cool. You know, I'm trying to keep my chin up and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying not to let people know how insecure I am because then – that would fuck things up, but certain that I would fuck it up. So then Eric dumped out what was like a heavy canvas duffel bag and a bunch of weapons came out <laughs> like baseball bats and crowbars and chains. And I thought, oh, okay, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. I got it now. I felt like, okay, bitching. So there was this tall girl. That, that I really like. Uh, they were all great. And I apologize. I can't remember everybody's names. Anyway, there's this tall girl. She's a yoga teacher. She's really cool. And somehow something happened. That I, I, I felt comfortable with her. And so I gave her one of the chains and said, you know, I'm going to put I put her on my neck. I said, hang on the chain. Don't let go. Well, she let go. But um, so when Eric touched the shutter of his camera, I attacked him like physically. I didn't hit him. I didn't hurt him. It was just all verbal and facial, but I got right in front of that camera. I mean, they use it on the, they use it on their thing that, and it was, it looked like some crazy animal um, because of all the facial hair and the teeth and everything. Um, I think my, I think my head buds are, earbuds are starting to go. I'm not sure. Um, I'll see if I can hear you. Anyway, Okay, so anyway, so I, you know, I'm saying, fuck this, fuck that, I'm going to fuck you up, motherfucker, you fucking, who the fuck you up, blah, 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 Well, then they and fucking country, which I thought was interesting. Anyway, so I finished that. I was just like, I watched all the other models, everybody, the, the, the stylists, the makeup, everybody, they just all backed up. They just got <laughs> it, and they looked down at the street like, oh, fuck, what did this guy just do? And then I said to myself, okay, so you fucked it up. You did exactly what you said you were going to do. You fucked it up. You fucking idiot. Why did you have to do that? And I'm feeling like shit. I'm just like, oh, man. Because look, the it, photos everybody wants amazing. to feel worthy. Everybody wants to feel worthy of love, right? Yeah. And so I felt really unworthy of love. And so then they put another change on me. We shot something insignificant. And they put another change on me. And then Eric went around the corner. And then he's like waving to me. Come here. And I thought, all right, now they're finally going to tell me we've had enough. You can go now. And I was prepared. And I kept my chin up the whole time. I never fucking put my chin down. I wanted to. And <laughs> he said, Mark, uh, 
can you do that again for the camera, the, yeah. like the moving camera, the moving camera? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I mean, it ties in with everything I've said before. People, everybody, you, whoever should understand now, that's how I function. Yeah. And I that's mean, how I functioned the entire time as a model. It was the same fucking shit. And either you liked it or you didn't. And they liked it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Dude, so, the photos came so out now so I, cool. Now, oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. So now I have to finish this. To, to I need to give Eric his due. Yeah. yeah Eric's a stand-up guy. And there were a couple of choices made. Like, okay, why don't you guys go climb on that fence? And we all started climbing on the fence. And then the owner of the building came by. And Eric's like, no, no, I'll take responsibility for that. They had nothing to do with them. It was me. So that I really dug about Eric that. Yeah, totally. He he stands he stands he stands there and he takes it. You know, yeah. he's not a fucking lightweight. He's not a bullshitter. Yeah, I dig that about him a lot. It's it's a little bit hard for me to read him because I don't I don't know him so much. It's always been really brief, and so I don't really can't. I have trouble reading him, but that's my thing. Anyway, so uh, the point I was trying to make is um, oh, where'd it go? Uh, well, like, you know, like... I think no, but it's about Eric, but but I yeah. did all that. But there was something else about Eric. Oh, I know what it was. So, so a year later, I was in New York for another to deliver some more shit. And um, I, I contacted Eric. And, and I'm a very loyal person. I'm, like, I've stayed friends with my first agent ever. We're close like that. And so, and some of the models on the shoot, I even stayed in contact with them. And, and um... So I said, Eric, I'm in town. Let's have a drink or something. He said, okay. So I met him and one of his friends, and I explained to him what I explained to you, the process of what took place, because I felt it was important for him as a photographer to know the power of insecurity, and I wasn't sure if he was aware of that taking place in models or not. And so that's it. That's the, That then is full circle. So that's the... Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that was that's like, the capital. Dude, that was such a good <laughs> insight. For, like, I, people are, all over the world, you know, collect capital books. And, you know, it's really awesome to hear a real account of, like, what goes on in those shoots because people don't realize how crazy they really get. I've been on a bunch of them and they get wild. Oh, cool. And that's why they're so cool. Yeah, totally. They, they are cool. Now, quickly, yeah. I, I just want to wrap up. And then um, I had another thought. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, I, I just want to wrap up I'm running soon. out of juice. I yeah, think, you're running my, out of juice. It, it said something a couple things. Um, so uh -huh. I just want you to, like, explain to to everyone. So what are you, what are you, you know, selling right now? What are you focused on? Cool shit. Yeah. It's cool shit. It's cool just shit. all cool shit. It's <laughs> there's nothing mediocre. I have to say there's nothing mediocre. Every item is. Uh, I, I'm the buyer. No offense, Lorraine. We work both of us work really hard. She has her responsibilities. I have mine. I'm the buyer, and um, it has to speak to me. And I've seen a lot of shit in my life, and if it doesn't speak to me, I don't buy it. It's that, yeah. it's that simple. And we have a massive inventory, and it's mostly for men. And we also have cool stuff. Too, and we're building that up in our, our website. But um, we do a lot of Native American because that's that's part of my – that's something I've always bought for myself since I was a kid. But I didn't realize that it could be bought to, to sell. So we do a lot of Native American, you know, um, a lot of male um, – like – 
military stuff, you know, embellishments, bracelets, rings, watches, um, surf stuff, motorcycle stuff, all current shit, you know, yeah. that appeals to, you know, it's, our shit goes all over the world. It goes all over countries it goes to european countries it's all over the states here and most of it's purchased and resold mm. and so what i tell most of our clients who aren't buying it to resell that basically comparatively you're getting stuff from us at basically wholesale prices mm. you know if you don't understand under or that 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 strata of society for folks that don't get it then they don't understand that our prices are a, a, a good value. But if you're aware of all the shit that's going on, then you realize, oh yeah, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. they're in. And most of our customers are repeat customers. So I feel, I, I feel guilty. I'm thinking in my mind, it's like a salesman, but that's right. our shit's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I'm really proud of I, it. Dude, I can, vouch, <laughs> I can vouch for that. I wouldn't have you on here if I didn't think what you did was cool oh. i think what you select you. <laughs> has a really unique perspective and like your the pieces that you you pick have have a, a character a, like a special yeah. character about yeah, it yeah yeah and that's it's what, got mojo yeah. it's, it's all got mojo that's totally. it yeah. yeah not everybody gets it but it's there you know yeah. and what's what's really okay how do i say this now okay it's this might be hard for some people to accept, but everybody wants to think that in their own mind that what's going to make them more worthy of love. And I have goosebumps again. And it's, it's a really basic, simple concept. And I boiled it down to that. I mean, I think everything is about that. All the psychology of people, all that, it just boils down to that, basically, whether or not you feel worthy of love. Blah, blah, blah. It's another story. And then what we do to want to think that we are worthy of love. And there's all different aspects of that. You know, I, I mean, it just, it never ends. We could, yeah. we could talk about that forever. But anyway, so here's how it works. It's really simple. <laughs> I just spit on I'm the camera. It's, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really simple. People come to us and they get something and it makes them feel just somehow a little bit better, mm. more worthy of love. And I feel worthy of love when that happens. And that's it. It's, I'm, I get emotional about it. It is a complete thing. And it's bitching. And yeah. for a long time, I had trouble accepting money for what we do. And then when I came to that realization, then I, I had no trouble accepting money for what we do. I think it's very valid. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. That's beautiful. Thank you, Mark. That was so, such you. a beautiful way to end this podcast. Um, for those out there who want to check out Mark's stuff, it's at Worn Over Time on Instagram. Do you do you have a website or anything you can plug? Yeah, webs our website is w o r n dash o v e r dash t i m e dot com. Beautiful. Well, thanks, Mark. This was a pleasure, man. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> Kindred <cool>. spirits. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to when our paths cross Yes. in person with not being um, so uh, brief. Absolutely. I, I'm dying to go, you know, after the zombie apocalypse is over, I'm dying to go back to L.A. actually. I've only been a Well, you can times. stay on the guest boat. Oh, beautiful. That would be rad, Stay man. on the guest boat. 
It's bitching. Yeah, okay. All right, everyone. Bye, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe. All right. Bye.